You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Greg Crabtree. And Greg is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, financial expert, I'll even say financial extraordinaire. Uh, he is uh, with Crabtree, Rowe, and Berger, which is a CPA firm based solely on the needs of entrepreneurs. And one of the things I love about Greg is he takes kind of the CPA conversation, which is usually about taxes and how do I save money on taxes and, and really make it a conversation around how to understand your business and how, you're, how to understand how your business this works, uh, where it's working, where it's not working, what you can do about it. Um, and so I'm excited for this conversation. Greg, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Bruce. So um, before we get into uh, the books and we get into some of the uh, the things you teach and the things that you help explain to entrepreneurs about how to understand their business, let's just get a little bit of your background. Uh, how did you how did you get into this? What how why uh, accounting? Why entrepreneurs? What was the story that got you here? Well, why accounting started on a chicken farm in Northeast Alabama, you know, so when you gather six to 7,000 eggs a day by hand, you learn what you don't want to do for a living. So, uh, so when, when my mom always talked fondly of her tax account and I realized he worked in an air conditioned office. And so it's like, okay, so I, love so I had a pretty low, pretty low bar into becoming an accountant. <laughs> Work um, conditions, just I, better work conditions. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why what I do what I do now is I realized I hated accounting once I learned how to do it, uh, and so uh, I said, "There's got to be more to this." And and usually, I think every profession has that. I mean, there's always the more aspect of it, and. Um, I was always fascinated with the entrepreneurial stories of the guys who just created, in, in, in more times than not, first-generation wealth, you know, in the sense of somebody like me that just came from a farm or, or you know, they, they, you know, really didn't grow up with money in their hands. Yeah. And they, yeah. they created something from rubbing $2 bills together to get the third and the fourth and the fifth. And the next thing you do, you turn around, you got $10 million. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that was always fascinating because they're the creators of business. And, um, and, and so it was more anecdotal at first. And then uh, through actually, to be quite honest, I mean, joining the Entrepreneurs Organization in 2001, yeah. I, you know, I, I changed the, the world of people that I hung out with. I didn't hang out with other accountants. I hang, hung out with entrepreneurs. Yeah. And um, and and really, it was that thing that they helped refine my service offering because I just did a simple thing of asking, you know, what was it that they weren't getting from their their current CPA? Yeah, and smart. And it really it really led to help. You know, they wanted help to run a better business. They knew that they could be better, but it, it just really wasn't a good repository or place, you know, to really you know at least take. There were people that had good ideas, but you could never yeah. take those and apply them to the numbers. And really hold them accountable. Yeah. And uh, so that that was really what led to it. And then it just continues to refine itself and led to writing the book and, and so forth. And hopefully the next book soon. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people, um, I, I, I'm assuming many, many people who listen to this podcast uh, know you, know your work. But uh, for those that don't, for those few, uh, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits is, is really a, it's a key uh, book that uh, we teach in the Gazelles community. Uh, that's part of the EO community. Um, and it really it has some um, – I think some really good fundamentals for business folks. And I mean, not, 
the accountants, finance side, but people who are trying to run and operate businesses uh, really breaks it down into seeing the numbers as a tool, a tool to really understand how your business works and, and what you can do differently around it. Uh, and then you've got a new book coming out, Simple Numbers 2.0. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about what you're going to try to accomplish in that one. Really, really in that one, we, we see simple numbers is really kind of a, a framework or a platform, so to speak, because what it has allowed us to do is we've created this construct of how to see data consistently across all businesses. So mm -hmm. we can we can do business comparisons across industries. Uh, so, you know, you can a manufacturing company can learn something from a service business or yeah. learn something from a retail business and so forth. Uh, it, it also it, gives us a, a a common way of understanding the why behind the business in a sense of both capitalization and profit targeting. Got it. And really once you once you understand I think that was has since been kind of the last mile of the journey is I, I had observational things in the first book that I, mm -hmm. I felt like from my study, but I couldn't explain the why. And now I think I've taken it a, that another step of going, okay, here is why this works this way. And, and so when you're hearing people discuss things, you have to take it with a grain of salt, because if you don't know the capitalization structure of the business, yeah. of what, what kind of support do they need from accounts receivable or, or vendor support, um, you know, those kind of things, what kind of margin do they get, then it's really hard to understand. They can be telling you something and leading you down a path of destruction <laughs> or or you could say, oh, I can never do that when yeah. absolutely it's right there in front of you and you can. And and so it's really fascinating to see that there is this signature of every model that you can almost you know build it from. And then it gets down to just execution. Are you yeah. good enough to just go make it happen every day? Yeah. Yeah. The kind of the discipline and the drive to, mm -hmm. to actually implement yeah. the, the learning. Well, and that, and that's and and I and I will say this. I mean, that's really where I really appreciate all the coaches uh, like yourself that we yeah. work with. Because, I mean, that's the part that, you know, once you can get the financial strategy, it does get down to that that discipline of execution, which I, you know, we, we really, you know, appreciate the coaches that we get to work with with our clients, because I, I think that's the added element that, that is always going to make those businesses perform better, you know, than those who, who try to go it alone. Yeah, yeah, it's really, I mean, I, I always say as a coach, I just accelerate the process. You know, we're trying to pick the right, right model, right. clarify the model, and then accelerate the process, because it's, it is, it's a game of... Uh, it's a game of time and it's a game yeah. of competition, right? Like you, you don't have, yeah. you don't have infinite funds. You don't have infinite capital. You know, you got to put it to work and make it productive and, and you have people nipping at your heels. You know, yeah. the fact is, is that there are other people trying to grab your lunch. So, yeah. so let's talk a little bit about service-based businesses. Cause that's, yeah. you know, kind of a, a particular area of focus of mine or an interest of mine. When you look or when you are working with uh, an entrepreneur, a CEO, who's, yeah. uh, who has a service-based company, what, what are the things that you first start to ask or the things that you start to inquire about that give you a sense of the type of business or, or to sort of see how the business is running or how well it's running? What are the, what are the questions that come up for you? Usually the first thing we look at is, you know, what type of a, a service service-based model are you, are you trying to do in the mm -hmm. sense that are you think of it probably in the simplest form of service I'm a, I'm a staffing model I'm providing labor but I'm providing no guidance of that person I'm just a rent a body you know yep. to the people who need it all the way up to a service to where I, you know there is a an agreement of the outcome that the customer wants and it's up to me to find a way to make it work yeah. And so when you when you plot each of those on the, the ends of the scale, you're going to find that there's a lot of different 
uh, elements along the way in terms of what the market will accept, mm -hmm. uh, your ability to, to add management labor to make those people you know, more successful in, in delivering what the customer needs. And I always start with really the first idea of, of asking the first simple question when you start thinking about the financials. All right, so you know, I, I charge X amount for whatever service I'm providing. Yeah. And then, well, is there, is there some other thing that's involved other than labor? Is there some other hard good cost past their item? Because the few service businesses that might have some out-of-pocket goods, you do have to filter that piece out because that's not service. That's just a, an enablement of that service to be applied. So what's an example? So give me an example of a – so I understand the staffing model. So yeah. I'm basically – I've got people that have certain capabilities. You need people with those capabilities. I yeah. give you them on a per hour, per day basis. Either right. you know they come to your site or you have access to them and they, they are working under your direction. Kind of that's the raw right. labor kind of model. When you yeah. start to add some of these goods and stuff, like give me some examples of those. Good example. We can go to the construction industry. You know, yep. that is a so if I'm a concrete, you know, specialist, mm -hmm. uh, I don't make the concrete. I order the concrete, you know, from the concrete manufacturing place, have it delivered. It's mm -hmm. my skills, my services that directs the pouring of the concrete in a correct fashion. So the concrete is a material that generally I, I I'm I'm going to be passing that cost through to the customer, and so. It's it's not. It's what I charge for the total job minus the cost of materials that I get to what a term we refer to as gross margin. That's the true economic top line. Yeah. Let's take it to, say, a marketing firm. In marketing, I can have some out-of-pocket expenses for uh, either a specialist that I don't retain on staff, so a subcontractor, a freelancer. Yeah. And, and so I'm the billing face to the customer, but I don't house 100% of the skill set in office. So in theory, I'm anybody that I hire externally is going to be essentially a pass-through you know, of that. So you now, count that as like a cost of goods? I mean, basically, I count like that as a cost. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is like, so I've always seen these like advertising agencies, you know, I'll, I'll work with them and they'll, they'll be like a $30 million advertising agency and, yep. and 28 million of it is, is advertising spend. You know, it's really only, well, and, there's really only yeah. a handful of people in the company. Exactly. And I think ad agencies are one of the ones, ones that have been severely disrupted yeah. in the business model over the last 20 years that they used to get a solid 20% commission on every ad they placed and they would count revenue for all the ads that they bought. Mm -hmm. uh, yet they're really getting 20% commission off of it. And that commission has fallen dramatically from there, by, yeah. I would say. So so that that's kind of a case of you got to understand what is the real business model yeah. you know, in that process. So once I get to gross margin, now I have the numerator of the fraction of saying, what is the direct labor cost that it takes to produce that gross margin? And that's my first lever output of understanding, you know, how well is the market respecting the quality of my labor. And so we, we refer to this term as labor efficiency ratio. Yeah. And, and so for my direct labor. And so a good example is in the staffing industry, the average is about a dollar thirty, dollar forty ish, somewhere around there. We have quite a few staffing clients as examples. And essentially think of it like that. For you to run a dollar of, of payroll 
the marketplace is only giving me 30 to 40 cents on top of that to cover 10% of minimum basic payroll taxes and yeah. benefits. And I'm only getting 30 cents or so to actually have found the person, run their paycheck and replace them if you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And all my and, overhead but, and uh, yeah. everything I need to run the company. Yeah. And so then as I scale up, probably the most common number is, is somewhere around a two is where, you know, most services, most managed services would be, okay. you know, in, in that process. As you get higher, typically these are going to come from, uh, you have a market niche, you have a better management systems in place to get more leverage from that labor. You may have technology enhanced labor. You know, we've got a client that does some phenomenal things with a, a call center that, you know, he's getting, you know, somewhere upwards to $10 uh, of labor efficiency because he's invested in the technology to make that labor more effective what time they do have to spend interfacing with the customer. Now, the marketplace kind of equalizes itself out over time, but ultimately, I, I would tell you that our first learning when I wrote the first book from studying the data was if I want to get more profitable, it is about the leveraging of the labor that I'm spending money on is, is what makes every business profitable. Yeah. And because we still haven't gotten to a point that there's not a business out there that doesn't require labor. Yeah. And to a certain degree, I mean, I see, a, you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, I don't want to manage anybody. Everybody's going to be a contractor. <laughs> uh, you know, well, if, you, if everybody's going to be a contractor, you're just going to be a really small business or you're just going to be passing through a bunch of yeah, stuff and exactly. making nothing. Yeah. So you got you to gotta have some employees and, and it's the leveraging of those. And what we've done is segregate. We take that labor pool and, and break it between who is direct and, and we make a simple statement of, okay. are you necessary for the production of what you charge customers for? That's a direct person. Okay. And it doesn't have to be, you know, generally it's 40, 50% of your time or more is direct. Then all of you go into direct. We never okay. split a person. I, uh-huh. I'm not a fan of splitting. So, so it's uh, messy. It's, it, yeah, it becomes subjective. And so yeah. it generally put everybody else into management labor. And so the idea is I'm trying to get to this pure output, this simplistic without allocating a bunch of cost. Yeah. What gross margin did we make? And what is the cost of our team that is that is doing this? And that ratio you know, then gives you a way to measure it and see, are we trending better or worse across time in that process? And and so got gross margin minus direct labor is, is really a term we created called contribution margin. So we believe that's the pure output of the business engine. Yeah. And that is a clean number that we also believe we're fans of the great game of business that Jack Stack and his folks created. And we believe that contribution margin is an easy number to actually share openly with the team because I'm not getting them involved in whether we yeah. buy two ply toilet paper or not, you know, it's, yeah. it's or, or whether I hire somebody on the management team, that's up to me. I want my direct people understanding what is the output and so that they can actually see, you know, are we winning the game or not? And it's yeah. such a clean measure because I will tell you the rest of the stuff below contribution margin is fairly predictable in every business we work with. And so if I can just get the right kind of output, the rest of it becomes a whole lot easier to direct. And then on top of that, I can hold my management labor accountable to that contribution margin production. Because that, that to me, I, I think is is really that kind of the key of if I want to build a scalable business, it is the effectiveness of my management labor ultimately that drives my profitability. Yeah. Well, and, so talk and to I me. Can like, hold them accountable. So, so I got the direct labor side that you carve out this direct labor and you can look at sort of the efficiency of that. How do you look at the efficiency of management? I mean, what's when you when you're actually looking at the numbers? 
how do you have that conversation with the management folks? What's the, what's, so, what does that look really like? Straight, yeah, it's really straightforward. I mean, direct labor can only work with the, with the gross margin that's put in front of them to work on, mm-hmm. you know, so now they can, they can not mess up and they can stay focused and get more throughput, but, but really that's a management function. Yeah. And so it's really management is responsible for three things. Management needs to drive revenue. They need to control direct cost yeah. that gets to gross margin. And then they need to supervise the effectiveness of direct labor. The you know, I can pick any one of those three or all of them to optimize. Matter of fact, if I optimize all three, I'm going to be the guy that wins the game. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be singularly focused on one thing. I can't be singularly focused on revenue increasing when my, my labor can't keep up, when, yeah. I, when, I don't, when I don't train them, when I don't give them tools to measure productivity. You know, we've got one guy that you talk about a, a classic service-based business that's just killing it. They're a lawn care company. Uh, in Texas. And and what's fascinating is, is they've really, so they've adopted our labor efficiency ratio to manage their direct labor staff. Yeah. And so, so they actually have a kind of a logistics person that checks in with every mowing team every two hours. And so they know wow. where that team is supposed to be at every two hour window. Yeah. And if they're behind, they're saying, okay, do we need to send more folks? What's the, why are you behind? Yeah. But but their management and that that logistics person they're they're part of management labor so they're they're okay. checking up on people to make sure that are you hitting gate to gate to gate because if I don't mow if there was a two hour window that I didn't get this yard mowed yeah, when I am I going it. to get to it yeah, yeah. It, that hour's gone yeah well I like and that these, because I always say that you know the, the you know one of the main purposes of management is to create you know the right systems and policies and practices to to help people do their job well right and if and if yeah. someone is not thinking through like okay what are the obstacles what are the roadblocks how am i you know removing you know things that are hindering my people from being productive i mean the fact is is most most direct labor folks have little control of the system that they're in. I mean, there's mm-hmm. ways you can kind of, you know, help them do that. But it's really management's job to do that and figure out, yeah. you know, how do we make people more productive? Well, I mean, I think the idea is as much as we like the idea of, well, I'm going to hire good people who've got a good <laughs> head on their shoulders and they're just going to pick the right thing to do every day. Yeah. Well, you know, no matter, I mean, they're probably good people. And, and I would probably say that I think the epidemic is more so in bad management than yeah. it is bad people. And I, I've seen some examples that is starting to turn my, my mind in this way of seeing some people are just so exceptional at getting the right behavior yeah. out of their people that we really actually, at the end of the day, as business owners, we must be better behavioral psychologists than we are business people. Yeah, no, I, I and, totally agree. I, and, I don't know if you got into uh, Deming and and his kind of early mm-hmm. look at systems and you know how to how to motivate incentive you know create mm-hmm. incentives around folks, but it's oh. uh, I just I still go back to a lot of that stuff because the examples he has is so just so good about just mm-hmm. just sort of backwards thinking management and about it how is. you know how to motivate people and how to give people mm-hmm. set people up for success. So I think you're, well, I think, I think if you I think if you give them clarity and and I I, I just look at the things that. I, I wanted people to do, and really it's on me that I just was not as clear and specific, yeah. and I didn't train them to that level of you know, the term that, that I learned from a, a recent place that I went to visit and look at their processes. The term that they use is brand standard. 
Yeah. And I, like and I really like that because in their case, it's a, a company called Powell Sudden Service in Kingsport, Tennessee, and they're mm-hmm. a Malcolm Baldrige Award winner. And one of our fellow EOers, Blair Christensen up in Calgary, Canada, turned me on to them. And I, I just got back from a, a two-day class with him, and I was just blown away. I mean, th- these guys are, are incredible, yeah. accomplishing incredible things. But with a simple mindset of they want 100% to brand standard 100% of the time at 100% of the volume. Yeah. yeah. And and you look at that and you, and you would think, oh, well, you know, yeah, that, yeah, okay, that's a good thing to aim at. No, I mean, they, they have, I mean, this is a drive-through hamburger chain. Yeah. Uh, no, no indoor seating, drive-through. Yeah. They have one customer complaint in every 3,500 transactions. Wow. That's pretty surreal, actually, like, that, <laughs> when I think yeah, about and, it. You know, and, and the people who put it together, I mean, it is about kind of when you mentioned Deming, kind of made me think mm-hmm. of it in that, you know, they, they look at making a hamburger as a manufacturing process. Yeah. You know, yeah and yeah. so, how, but did you define the standards? And then, too, are you holding people to the standard? Mm-hmm. And and one of the exercises we did in the class, I realized that I was totally woefully deficient in defining a standard yeah. that, that I wanted to achieve to. So that, that's kind of my goal in the new year. But I, I look at this and I realize that, you know, I mean, to whatever we, you know, we want to accept or allow, you know, let's just be more definitive about it. But then the idea is it's got to still then measure back to the key business yeah. drivers yeah. of am I, you know, one of the things we like about labor efficiency ratio is, once we establish the signature of what your labor efficiency ratio can be, I mean, that's that's almost about the only number you got to look at. Yeah. Because uh, when I look at my own numbers every month, I just look at my last 12 months, the what we call the rolling 12. Yeah. What's my rolling 12 revenue trends? And then mm-hmm. what's my rolling 12 labor efficiency trends? And if I'm at a two LER is, is my model, yeah. uh, I know that I'm going to meet my profit standard. And if I'm below a two, then I'm going to be below my profit standard likely. And and so, you know, what, so now I know what was it that caused that labor to not be productive? Did we not sell enough, yeah. which in our case hasn't been the problem. Yeah. Ours is going to be throughput. Did we train right? Did we have to redo work? Did we get the... I mean, you can have plenty of work, but did everybody get it out the door? I, I would say that the number one thing of every service client that we've done a planning session with, that they have 10 to 20 percent more output just by getting everything done that they have in hand at a better efficiency. Because there's about 10 to 20 percent mm-hmm. lag of flow that it's like plaque in your arteries. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to be healthy, let's get the plaque out and put yeah. a stent in. And yeah. and I think every every service-based business is largely starting from that standpoint that there are about 10 to 20% blockage of throughput. And many times it's actually just because of one thing. It's lack of focus. Yeah, exactly. I, I, they, they don't know. So think about it like this. You know, uh, somebody told me the other day they're 26 seconds away from running a two-hour marathon. Okay. So the the last marathon best time was two hours and 26 seconds. Yeah. So when you look at that, I mean that that's literally that's just a crazy time that you look at. One tenth of one percent or something. Yeah. Because they measure it. So a guy running a marathon. I mean, are you? Are you waiting till it's over to just see how it turned out? Well, no, no, yeah. they're measuring gate to gate to gate to gate. Yeah, they know their pace. And then they're and then they're trying to find: Can I get better? Can I get better? Can I get better? 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially in what you're talking about in terms of focusing on service based businesses, here's the one big thing of why we keep labor. We never mix labor with something that's not labor in the PL. Yeah. And the reason for that is labor is the only cost that comes to work every day with an attitude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. And it also I, leaves your door every day, like walks that, out. <laughs> that's right. And when you when you look at the variability yeah. of performance of the human what what's capable uh you know i mean that's really where not now granted there's there's a level that's also unsustainable and you can't build your business around unsustainable performance yeah you know but uh but we're so far from the sustainable standard but there again i I, the nice thing is is i get to see hundreds of businesses you know really insides and our practices all over the u.s and canada and and now some international clients we got a few clients in australia now as well And it's amazing. I mean, business is business. I mean, it is yeah, not. Exactly. It really isn't any different nowhere in the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and let's talk a little bit about the growth process because I think that's one thing. I mean, you kind of hit upon it a little bit. Like one one thing that I often find when I go in to start working with the client is they're anxious to grow. We want to like you know double the business in three years. Like they they have all these growth targets and. We often kind of take a step back and say, look, before we start scaling this thing up, let's make sure that we kind of optimize and fix things. You don't want to – I always say, like, we don't want to scale problems. Right? Right. We want yeah. to scale the things that are working. And I, and I think you're hitting upon this in that mm-hmm. you, you want to be able to kind of diagnose the business and figure out, okay, where is it working? Where is it not? And the labor efficiency ratio right. I, I find is a key one. One thing I'm kind of curious about is as the company grows, do you find that the mm-hmm. labor efficiency ratio – Changes. I mean, you know, you need more management. Uh, you know, running a team at ten is very different than a hundred. Is different at five hundred. Like, what what are some kind of guiding principles or insights that you have around the impact of growth on labor efficiency? Yeah, I mean, if short of a lot of it depends on where you penetrate the market, and so you have to understand where you are on the on the market curve. Of picture, you know, an elbow curve on the marketplace where mm-hmm. the high end company is Nordstrom and and they've got the highest price rate, but the lowest number of customers compared to Walmart with the highest number of customers and the lowest cost. Well, where am I going to be? Because there's only so many customers that are going to go to Nordstrom, but there's a whole lot more customers that are going to go to Walmart. Mm -hmm. For me to go compete with the Walmarts of the world, I do. I will lose some labor efficiency because I have to change my pricing to accept more competitive pricing relative to volume. Yep. Now, as long as I'm still penetrating the target of my market, there should be actually increasing, improving labor efficiency, more margin for dollars spent as my my team gets more fully utilized. Okay. When I'm a team of, you know, right now, I mean, we are we are better labor efficiency today as a team of 45 people than we were oh, when we were a team of when team of 15. Because yeah. I have fewer people that are just coming on board to take on that that next range of work. Yep. And so from that standpoint, but there again, so there's two factors. You always have to ask the question of the data. Well, if labor efficiency is declining, why? Is it because of throughput of work yeah. or is it because of pricing in that regard? Because I'm looking at yeah. dollars, so I can have, yeah. I can have the same throughput, right. but if my pricing is is coming down, right. my revenues mm-hmm. are going to are going to drop, even though I'm selling just as much. Yeah, it, exactly. But but I really do believe that you know it is that aspect of understanding the growth concept. So here's what we've learned about growing. Number one is, especially in a service based business, your average return on invested capital, whatever. So think of invested capital as the sum of everything that you have in assets that are mm-hmm. real assets, everything you owe in real liabilities 
And the assumption is there's no debt that's that's there that's not tied to either receivables or or uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. You, you know that would be I call that fake debt. That's really kind of capital disguised as debt yeah. when it's financing something that there's no hard asset underneath it. Yeah. You know that that that's productive. And and so just my simple equity number. That's really what I've got invested in the business. And and so what I'm really striving for is I want a minimum 50% return in terms of annual pre-tax profit for every dollar I've got invested in the business. That is actually how I've determined the universal profit standard because in the original book, I kind of hypothesized 10% was good, 15% was great. Well, that worked for quite a few of the businesses, but it didn't work for everybody. So far, I've not found any U.S. business that violates the 50% minimum profit standard. So if you have a properly capitalized business, you should be able to make an annual 50% of that number in profit every year. And the average is actually closer to 75 to 90. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah th- so yeah. this is actually new for me. So I, yeah, I've always yeah. used the, uh, you know, 10 is good. 15 mm-hmm. is great. Anything yep. more than 15 is probably not sustainable. <laughs> you've, you've got right. some angle in the market yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, is, is either not scalable or is not sustainable. And in, in much like, you know, kind of the old rule of thumbs of like five times EBITDA is a neutral yeah. value of a business. Well, that 10 to 15% standard, it, it will get pretty close most of the time. So if you actually run the math on those yeah. and look at, and now you may have some that are super high because they're highly leveraged. So I'm trying to, I want this based off of a fully capitalized business, which means I got two months of OPEX and cash and nothing drawn on a lot of credit. The only business uh, had a Latin America food distributor that I could only get them to 40% return on invested capital because they had such dysfunctional trade terms with their customers and vendors that it took too much capital. Yeah. You know, but that's the blessing that we have living in a in, yeah. a, in a trade economy that has a basic uh, amount of trust, you know, built into it. And so with this 50 percent standard, let's talk about growth. Well, if if I know that I can sell enough to add the next team member that provides my services mm-hmm. and I know that that I can get a 50 percent return on what that takes, wouldn't I do it if I had access to that cash? Yeah. And the answer is all day long. And really, like I said, it's closer to 75 in, in reality. And 50 is just the minimum standard. Yeah. And, and so the reality is it depends on how good of a better you are. And so I have some skill that affects my quality of my bet mm-hmm. in the sense that can I go hire somebody that, you know, what am I going? And, and this is a term we call launch capital. What am I going to spend that is a discretionary choice? I don't need it to keep what I am yeah. going. This yeah. is to grow. Yeah. This is my catalytic spend. cost, yeah. That's right. And so what am I going to spend before that cost will pay for it to break even? And then I want to hold it accountable to not just break even. I want it to get my money back. And so yeah. we identify, you know, there's three primary launch capital spends. I can add people. I can spend money on marketing. And mm-hmm. I, I need some infrastructure. I need to buy a piece of equipment yeah. or buy a building or whatever. Yeah. Another cubicle or another another spot to work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the idea is what we do is we isolate this incremental discretionary choice spend, and my belief is is within 12 to 24 months, I need to see a 50% return on that spend. So if I think that adding some new team members, that it's, I'm going to be $100,000 in the negative before mm-hmm. they start to break even, then my overall profit target after I've spent that has to show $50,000 
or more profit increase to say that was a good plan within 24 months at the outside. Okay. And the closer I get to a 24-month payback, I've got to really start to think about 100% return instead of there's certain things that I you know I can't penetrate a marketplace with sales except you know because they got a nine-month sales cycle yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But the longer the cycle of requirement for repayment, I got to get a bigger return on. Otherwise, I, I'm in a really high-stakes professional gambling game, and and the vast majority of entrepreneurs I just aren't suited for that. You, you better you better bring bags of money with you to, to yeah. play that game. Well, I do um, find it's always there's always been this dynamic of what is your what is your constraint? You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's you know I can find people pretty easily. It's hard for me to sell. In other cases, like mm-hmm. I can, you know it's easy for people to sell. It's hard for people to find talent. So I always find a little that bet or that that risk analysis. Yeah. You know, kind of depends on which side of that equation is you know most uncertain or the most difficult to to make happen. Yeah. So, then, so here. So here's our here's our formula for that. Yeah. So our research data, we, we've got a 50 company model that we track. That's all different kinds of industries all over the U.S. So it's it's kind of our economic index that we kind of keep a pulse of what's going on in the economy. And and out of that, what we learned was that generally this particular group grew about 15 to 20 percent per year over the years of 14, 15, and 16. And that number, I don't have a final number for 17 yet, but it was probably somewhere still in that, you know, 12, 13 percent range, at least, if not 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still see a, a general continual increase in, in terms of the businesses that we're working with. But here's what we found from the how to fund it side, that on average, they took 40 percent of profit out to cover taxes. They left 30% of profits in the business to fund growth, mm-hmm. and they took 30% out as after-tax profit distributions. So mm-hmm. we call that the 40-30-30 model. Okay. And so once you're fully capitalized, you can grow at about 15% and still improve cash and still distribute 30% of your profits. Mm. So the key is what you have to get what you have in your hands fixed first before you try to grow on yeah. top of it. Yeah. So that is our number one play that we recommend running is, listen, if I don't fix what I have now, I'm just adding bad on bad. Yeah, exactly. And that's not going to get me there. But we, our, the data is pretty compelling that there's very few business models that are constricted if, if you'll just you know, you, now you got to go on a diet first to get fully capitalized. So if that business who doesn't have the two months of, of operating yep. expenses in cash and you got money on a line of credit, okay, just pause yep. and you leave a hundred percent of the after-tax profits in. So 40% is going out for taxes yeah, 60 and 60% is staying in. Capitalizing. But I will tell you that the time frame required for that is generally six to 12 months yeah. max that most people take to get there. Yeah. A few may be outside 18, but I mean, it's amazing when you get focused, how quickly you can turn that. Now, I always say, though, that, you know, the entrepreneur who needs profits of his business distributed to cover their living expenses, they're on the slippery road to entrepreneurial <laughs> hell because <laughs> because that, you know, you, you just you just destroyed the very capital creator that you've got in your hand. Yeah. Because yeah. a profitable business is a capital creator. Yeah. yeah. And and when people say that they don't have access to capital, it's like well, nobody, you know, everybody's in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go just just go be profitable yeah, yeah, and you'll exactly. you won't need Make anybody. your own capital. Yeah. No, I I you know, the self self sustaining business is a powerful business once you get it going. It's tough yeah. when you keep relying on outside capital. Greg, we're gonna be out of time here. This was great. I learned a few things. I like the whole 
fairly simple way of kind of just breaking down, looking at your business, figuring out where you're efficient. I love the whole thing of like, get the business working well before you start to scale. I think it's one of the biggest yeah. challenges or biggest missteps that that people make. Excited about Numbers 2.0. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to, to hearing when that's going to yeah. come out and excited to stay in touch. Thank you for uh, for taking the time with me today. This was, uh, it was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And if people want to find out more about you, about, um, uh, about the work that you do, about the books, yep. What's the best way to get a hold of you and, and more information? Yeah, the, be- the best way is the, the book website is simplenumbers.me. So that's fairly easy to, to get to. Uh, and then uh, there's a contact form on there that'll that'll email will get sent out to, to somebody in the office and uh, either myself or somebody will get, get back with it. Somebody's got an interest in it. But we tried to put um, even beyond what I put out there, there's people uh, I've been fairly generous to let people videotape my presentations. And so from what I've learned, there's quite a few good bit of stuff on YouTube that I didn't put out there. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, uh, so actually, I am out on YouTube probably a decent amount as well. But awesome. we've got a few of those links on the website and some free tools that, hey, you know, it's like whatever works. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm just as thrilled when somebody can take something we teach and apply it and we don't have to work with them. But there's always going to be plenty of people that, hey, if you need somebody to, to help yeah. you work through it, uh, we're here for you. Awesome. And I'll make sure that that link uh, is on the show notes here so people can click through. And I'd, I'd recommend people checking it out and you know looking at some of the content. Like I said, one of the one of the reasons I love the work that you do, Greg, is that it is it is so accessible and turns it from this uh, this thing I think about once a year when I have to pay taxes to really a tool to run your business, which I think is powerful. Good deal. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.